Hello and welcome back to Pastor Potluck after a few weeks off. I'm Peter Constantian. I'm Court Green. And today we want to recap a little bit, uh, check back in with you and with each other as far as how has the Christmas season gone. And to begin our uh, podcast off in 2021, at the beginning, we'll, we'll take a look at the first few verses of the book of Genesis and then we'll see where the conversation leads us. I'm excited to be back. Court, how are you doing? How was your uh, Christmas vacation and festival? Doing all right, and I hope you are, and I'll ask you the same question in a moment, and I'm gonna put a qualifier on it. Um, but my Christmas was, it was di different. It was certainly different. Um, you know, usually you have, in our family, we have at least two big gatherings, usually three or four because you have one side of one family wants to meet the other side of that family wants to meet the other side of the other or then both sides of the other family want to meet and so you're just going 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 and i have wanted didn't want it like this but i've wanted for a long time to stop doing that and this year we we were forced to and so we had christmas at our house just my mom and her husband came up and stayed and had lunch and left it was small we did temperature checks with you know my mother and and had lunch and then left and then we got together in a similar fashion with Christie's sister now that meant we had to drive across the state but you know we didn't stop anywhere except to get gas and pay the pump so it, it was weird i'm not saying look at me i'm the best coronavirus rule follower but i am saying that you know it, it was different but in a way i kind of lucked out because I've been begging for this to happen for so long. Why do we do all this stuff at Christmas? Mm -hmm. And so I got what I wanted. Um, and yet Christmas wasn't ruined because we didn't do all those traditions. I mean, it was a good one. Um, got to spend more time with the boy. Um, for those of you in podcast land, I have one son. Uh, got to spend more time with him and focused on him and, and Christy, the wife to whom I am married, because there wasn't all this distraction. So that was pretty cool. And yeah, he got a Nintendo Switch, which, you know, look at us Westerners with all of our opulence. But is anyway, that going to borrow the Nintendo Switch? The beauty of it is that he gets these games that as a seven year old, he doesn't really like they're for his age, but not like, like uh, there's this one, like imagine when you, when, I was a kid and you were a toddler, um, like Zelda. Did you mm -hmm. ever play Zelda? Like yeah. these adventure type games? There's a lot of reading involved and, and strategy. And so he needs help with them. And so it's created a bonding experience. And so we, we, have, we have avoided consoles like the plague. I shouldn't say that this time, this time with what's yeah. going on in our world. But yeah. we've avoided con consoles because, you know, we want to control his media uh, access but finally we gave in and i think because of that there's 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 a good and a bad the good is i've been able to spend more time with him the bad is I'm, i think it's making him a little sexist because one day he said uh, like i'm talking like two days after we got in the thing um he said i need dad's help and christy's like well i'll help you he said no moms aren't good at video games only dads are and I was oh. like, oh, boy. but then i felt bad because i don't want him to be a sexist Shout out to the gamer moms out there. We want to oh, hear yeah, from you. 
leave your comments. Tell us how you're uh, teaching your kid all of the important aspects of video gaming culture. There you go. And, and if you're going to do that, let's be let's do something positive. Teach us how you're protecting them from video game culture too. Because remember, I'm new to having a kid and a video game console. Um, but the good thing about this is it gives you the option of do you want to go online or not, and we do not right now anyway. So and he can forget a headset because I've I've heard his uh, his cousins talking on theirs, and I'm like, nah, I ain't I ain't throwing my kid in that world. As the first Christmas that you guys have had as partners in Wedded Bliss, uh, how was you and em your Christmas and Emily's Christmas and y'all's Christmas? It was really good. Quiet, like yours. Um, I was very happy to have some snow on Christmas Eve. Um, and we had traveled earlier in the month for uh, my grandmother-in-law's 80th birthday which we did with masks and outside there in Georgia so outdoor gatherings are still an option but um, we just decided we'd done enough traveling and the thing is that traveling and visiting with people is not as exciting as it was pre-pandemic because it comes with this whole added layer of how do we keep ourselves safe? How do we keep the people that we love safe? When are we spending too much time inside? Is this mask that I'm wearing clean? Um, you know, when's the last time I sanitized my hands? Did I use hand sanitizer before or after I touched that doorknob? You know, and that just becomes so overwhelming that the whole point of taking the trip, I feel like makes less sense. Mm -hmm. uh, so we just said, hey, we'll uh, we'll do a video call on Christmas Day. And we scheduled those, you know, with my, like you said, I've got a camp complicated family too. So my mom's side, my dad's side, my mom's extended family, Emily's family. And those were kind of back to back in the afternoon. But, um, you know, Christmas Eve was just really calm. We um, watched The Grinch which what you were saying reminded me of the Grinch because for those who have watched uh, the live action version of the Grinch will know that, uh, that when all of the presents are taken away, it's easier to focus on what's important, which ends up being relationships, right? And so I think um, we have had things taken away from us in this Christmas season, but it has helped us to focus on relationships in whatever way we've been able to connect. For us, it was through the video screens, and that was just fine, you know, uh, because we didn't have to worry about masks and sharing air and hand sanitizer and that kind of thing, and still able just to get together and talk with one another and see how everyone's doing. So, so it was quiet, but it was, uh, it was definitely enjoyable. So uh, side note for everyone out there listening, I am glad, this is not the side note, I'm glad that you had a great Christmas. I'm glad that it was quiet and you had something that I've only had this year for the first time in my life, but you've probably had many, which was a snow on Christmas. I almost said white Christmas, but I don't want to be racist, but you had snow on Christmas. That has never happened in my life until this year. So that's another thing. It was good that we weren't traveling on Christmas because I got to experience that. Here's your side note. So he mentioned the Grinch, and I assume when you said live action, you mean the Jim Carrey version? 
Yes. The little girl who plays Cindy Lou Who. She grew up. Her name's Taylor Momsen. And she grew up and became a rock star in a band called The Pretty Reckless. And they're amazing. They're wow. dark, but they're great. So um, just check them out. Pretty yeah. Reckless. Link in the show notes. <laughs> well, not really, but okay. Yeah, they ain't paying us. I'm not going to put a link to them. Now, okay. if they'll put a link to us, we'll put a link to them. Gotcha. <laughs> Reciprocation. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's a new year and it's time to take a deep breath and to um, remind ourselves of the stories that are important. And I think that the first verses of Genesis count as one of those stories. Uh, Court, tell us what uh, translation we're going to read from and why that matters. I am going to read from, I mean, you can read if you want, but I got it pulled up. I was planning on reading from the New Revised Standard Version and the reason it matters, which Peter pointed out to me before we started recording the show, is that the way they use their sentence structure and the word when somewhat changes the atmosphere, I suppose, of the telling of the story. Because in making the first two verses one sentence instead of two, it seems less like it's laying out facts and more like the point of, this, of it, which is it's telling a story. Weigh in on that, Peter. Yeah, I think we'll, we can unpack it a little bit more after we read it, but um, this, is a, this is a creation story. This is a, a story that was shared amongst the Hebrew people and amongst Christian people over generations, over uh, centuries, millennia. And it is a way for us to ground ourselves in our understanding that the God that we worship is the creator of all life. Mm -hmm. And it's important because it's a shared story. The details, you know, I just had somebody say the other day, ask me, you know, I, I, would, I would be interested in a Bible study, but I've got weird questions and I feel like people wouldn't appreciate them. And uh, so, so the question was posed, well, what kind of questions? And the questions were like, well, what about the ice age and all the creatures that went extinct before that and the dinosaurs and stuff like that? And so that all comes from, you know, all those questions come from a form of Christianity that has taken these first verses as more of an argument rather than a story and saying that, you know, our book says that God created the heavens and the earth. So it's exactly... Everything that we see is exactly how God wanted it. And anything that's not in this book doesn't exist or, um, or there's some other explanation for why we see the things that we do. Mm -hmm. and, and I want us to, to try to go back to an understanding of this passage as a story, as a shared story, that this is part of our people's understanding of who we are and who the God is that we worship. Not necessarily that these are details and a historical document, but that this reminds us of our relationship to each other because we share this story and to the God who we believe is the creator of all. So I'm gonna read this story. Please try to hear it as a story and not 
as a history lesson because there is a difference. And I think the beauty really is in the story. Genesis 1, 1 through 5, New Revised Standard Version says, In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. Thank you, Court. You're welcome. So these story I love because it, it shows that God's way of creating is just with speech. There's no struggle. There's no challenge for God. God is um, so powerful and so commanding that all of these forces just obey, right? They just follow the direction of God. And I think that's important because um, the context in which this story was written down scholars believe, uh, was, was Babylon during the exile. When the, when the exiles were hearing every year on their New Year's festival, the New Year's festival of Babylon, they would read the account of creation according to Babylonian myth, in which the god Marduk tears apart his mother, the sea god Tiamat, in this epic struggle, and then creates... Um, humanity out of the blood and mud that's left to be slaves to the gods. And in contrast to this terribly violent story of power and exploitation, the Jewish people wanted to give their children an alternative. They wanted to teach a story about what they really believed about who was the creator of all, and that that creation did not involve violence, and that their identity as human beings, which we get to later on in chapter one of Genesis, was not to be the exploited and enslaved servants of capricious gods, but actually that they were created in love and for love. Well, I would just say I would connect it to today that we face similar challenges and um, I believe that science gives us many insights into how the actual universe was created. And yet, if we go only with science as far as our understanding, it's easy to see or it's easy to start to think, well, nothing really matters if all of this just happened on its own. There was a big bang then the planets collided together and eventually we just emerged kind of without any explanation um, and following evolutionary processes. Now, I believe that all of that is explanatory and good and researched and studied well. And I believe that scientists in pursuing the truth are pursuing what, um, what truth we know comes from God. 
but I just wanted to make that distinction so that as people of faith, we have this story to go to not as a history lesson, not as a scientific document, but as a story of relationship that reminds us that the world that we live in um, was created by love, in love, for love, and that we are part of that story. And we have a relationship with the creator. I'm glad you got to relationship. That's where I was about to take it when I accidentally interrupted earlier. So yesterday we were discussing this with a group of pastors and friend of the show, former guest of the show, when it was a radio show, Jocelyn Schaefer was leading the discussion and she brought up an excellent question and it had to do with God's choice of action not in the creation, but in how God chose to create, which was to speak. And verse three, then God said, let there be light. And God speaks creation into being and continues to speak creation into being. And now practically speaking, that gives you something to write down, right? God had to do something. This is God saying what God is doing. It makes sense. But uh, the beautiful part of it, the question was, to whom was God speaking if there was nothing in existence yet? Mm. And what we came away with is that number one, almost doesn't matter, but what it shows us is a God who is at least on some level before we are even created to relate to God wants to have relationships and thinks relationships are good because what do you do in a relationship? You communicate. Mm-hmm. And so in bringing creation about, God is already acting mm-hmm. as a being who wants to relate to creation. You don't have that when you have mindless puppets walking around on the earth serving whatever your deity is. You just Then you have a master-slave relationship or a controller-controlled relationship, however you want to phrase it. Whereas, I mean, I'm using the word relationship, but I only mean one thing interacts with another. Whereas God seems to use open communication, which shows the character and nature of God as being one who wants beneficial relationship with a counterpart, which is us. And this reveals to me why it's so important that we consider carefully what comes out of our mouth, right? Because this story tells us that God created worlds, created everything, created life with words, right? And we have that power too, in a way. Barbara Brown Taylor is a, a Christian scholar and preacher, and she says we create worlds with our words. And what she means by that is that when we... Um, the way we describe one another, what, what words we use to describe people, that creates a version of reality, right, in the, in the mind of the hearer, mm-hmm. when we believe what someone is saying about us. And that world that we've created in the mind of someone who's listening to us may or may not be the same as the world that God created. And if it's different, it may encourage people to go down a path that is other than the one that God is leading them in. 
put this specifically in an example. Um, and this may be too uh, real, but it happened on Christmas Day, so it may be too soon, to, but I just feel like this is important for us to, to make mention of. On Christmas Day, many people saw on the news that a man with a RV blew himself up in front of a building in Nashville, Tennessee. And, uh, and the way that the media talks about that, for the most part, is exactly how I just said it. They said a man blew himself up in his RV outside a building. But we have seen people blowing themselves up with their vehicles outside of buildings or in markets around the world. And what is the word that we usually use to describe that behavior? Bomber, suicide bomber. Suicide bomber, bomber, or terrorist. And in this case, we're not hearing that word or those words used as regularly as we do here when the person is brown or when the person is Muslim. And I just want to use that as a way of demonstrating that we are creating worlds with our words. And we have created a world around this word terrorist that people feel like doesn't apply to a white man with an RV in Nashville. But it definitely does or should. I am with you. Um, and I'm going to back up your point when I uh, get a chance. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to back up what you're saying, but also offer something to the general audience. So you were talking about the words we use and the worlds they create. It's Barbara Brown Taylor, right? Barbara Brown Taylor. And so I'm with you 100% on that. The reason that, and maybe they do now, I don't know. But the reason that they initially did not call that act terrorism, and a lot of times don't, and no matter, you know, one side's always screaming, why aren't you saying terrorist? Is because terrorism has a very specific example. I mean, definition, not example. Uh, it's defined by the FBI and others as having a political or religious agenda that is designed to strike terror in people on behalf of that agenda. And the reason they didn't originally um, call that person a terrorist is because they didn't know what the agenda was, or if there, if there was one. Uh, so if someone just wants to off themselves and get on the news, then, which is terrible, by the way, I don't recommend it, then there's, there's no agenda other than just getting on the news, then they're not technically terrorist, even though their activities are terrorizing. Here's what, what I meant when I said I'm going to back you up that definition is doing exactly what you said, using words to define the world in which we live in and the world, the words then create the world. And so you're right. But I mean, I guess that's why I didn't know if he was a white guy or not. I, I, I still don't. Um, but he I, was, he is. Okay. Uh, I do remember it being the thing that stunned me is if you're going to do that, why do you put out a, a audio recording saying this thing's about to blow, get away? I thought that was weird. Um, I mean, the whole thing's weird, but, and, and shocking. And I remember I was getting, we had venison ribs for Christmas dinner and I'm in and out of the kitchen like crazy. And I got my iPad on cause we don't have a TV in the kitchen, but we do have you know, my iPad there. And I just leave the news on cause 
no offense to anybody who works for them, but DirecTV, like they have this app. It's supposed to have all the channels, but you can only actually get the news channels. But anyway, so I always have some kind of news channel on in the kitchen when I'm cooking. And so I had walked out of the kitchen to go handle something, I think on the grill. And I hear Christy just scream out, oh, Jesus, what happened? And so I was running in there thinking, you know, maybe the dogs bit each other or something. And she's staring at the screen and it was just this shocking moment. And I don't want to, I, I might be doing a disservice to the world by even saying that because maybe that's what the guy's agenda was just to shock people. I don't know. We're seeing a lot of violence today um, in, on the TV. Uh, we have been for a while. And, and if, you're, if you're just waking up after being asleep for centuries, uh, America is a violent place. It's yeah. a violent country. And, uh, you know, we have um, an alarming number of people dying from gun violence, whether, whether that's suicide or homicide uh, in this country as compared with all other countries. Uh, and that's, the, that's kind of the fate we've chosen for ourselves as a country in the name of freedom. I don't know, Cord, do you have any comments on that before we continue? On the nature of our violent society? Yeah. I think it flies in the face of Genesis 1, 1 through 5. I think that we as a nation, well, in the world and human history, mm. have chosen to ignore a God who values life, mm. a God who wants to relate to life, mm. who wants to speak to life so badly that in that speech, creates life as the story unfolds. Yeah. This is a God who yearns for life. We have cheapened life to come full circle. It not blaming just the video games, but all sorts of things that we put into our life in our minds make life seem cheap. Mm -hmm. um, I know that and I, I don't point fingers at one thing because it's a broad societal problem. But I know that when they raided the Bin Laden's thing and ended up killing him, and you know, war is another way we cheapen life. We're not, not going to get on that right now. They found tons and tons of porn. Why? They were using it to train people to see people as things and not people because it is a form of cheapening human life, human existence. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see a person as an, a commodity. We throw away commodities all the time. So why right. not throw away people? In fact, I, I'll butcher it, but I think there's a Wendell Berry quote about that. Like when you start to, uh, when you begin to treat uh, living creatures like animals as commodities, you know, as you imagine, you know, pushing your cart down the, the meat section at the grocery store. There's, they're totally dis, dismembered and separated from their identity as animals. Then it's not, a, not too hard to take the next step to treating humans like garbage. It's a good point you make. Um, do you know how many people will eat a steak that they get from a restaurant already prepared, but they won't eat the same thing if they see you cleaning a deer, 
or my, my wife would eat fish until she saw fish being cleaned. Um, because once she saw it, that disconnect wasn't there. And we've disconnected ourselves from so much. And it's so easy to destroy. And we do that in many ways. It's not just life. It's, it's uh, well, it's not, not just animal life. It's the environment. It's, it's our societies and different structures. It's, it's um, charity. It's easy to just throw that away and be disconnected from it. There's so many ways that we do this and it's a society, societally systemic problem. It's, it's a uh, psychological problem. It, it, it encompasses all and every step of the way, what we're really disassociating ourselves from is Genesis one through five and following where after God creates all this stuff, God makes humanity Male and female created them in the image of God. God created them. If we're the image of God, then what are we supposed to be doing? If God values life and we are supposed to be the image of God on this earth, we should too. And what are our words supposed to be doing? Excellent point. They um, should be valuing life as well. Yeah, I mean, I just see this uh, these first opening verses of Genesis as as an archetype or as a, as a, as something that we should be following, right? So a pattern that we should be following when God speaks, life comes into being light comes into being, right? We have the power to speak life into existence. We have the power to heal with our words. We have the power to um, support and build up uh, each other with our words, and we have the power to pull down. We have the power to speak violently to one, to one another. And if we are following this God, then I think that these passages, these verses at the beginning of our book, our sacred book, should remind us that as creatures made in the image of God, we ought to be seeking ways to create life, sustain and heal and restore with the words that we speak. Because there is, an op there is another option, and oftentimes we do take that option. It's interesting, it's interesting that you mentioned um, building up, etc., and I'm with you. But there's another way to see this, because with your words, you, you, you can build and you can destroy. So in a way... And this is another one of Jocelyn's points that when we talked yesterday, because she's a genius, we need to get her back on here. But in a way, when God is speaking light into to existence, isn't God also destroying darkness's hold on the world? And so God is both building and destroying. So what are we building with our words? And what are we destroying? Right. God is not always that question. God is not neutral when Correct. it comes to the forces of darkness and death. Um, God is God is the God of life. Jesus says that in reference uh, when he's talking with the Sadducees. That he says, you know, when Moses approached the burning bush, the the messenger of the Lord said, "I I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob." And then Jesus says to the Sadducees, "Is he a God of the dead or of the living?" Meaning is, are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were ancestors who had been buried in the ground, 
of of Moses are they con- are they still alive in God or are they dead? Mm-hmm. And he he says God is a God of the living, not of the dead, meaning uh, that those ancestors are alive, which which means you know which is contrary contrary to the Sadducees' belief that uh, there is no resurrection. It was uh, uh, an annihilistic belief, yeah. So speaking of the way we use our words, uh, I warned Peter before this show, dear listener, that I might get soapboxy, I think was the word that I used, which is not a word, but I might take a moment to get on my soapbox. And I, with your permission, Peter, I'll do that now. Yeah, talk to us about words. Let's talk about words. So there is a commandment in Exodus 20, and I'm going to pull that up. Actually, since I read the first one, Peter, would you read Exodus 20, Exodus 20, verse 7? Yeah, I'm going to read from the Common English Bible, if that's all right. Exodus 20, verse 7. This is right in the middle of the Ten Commandments. It says, Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name in that way. Okay, so New Revised Standard Version says, You shall not make wrongful use of the name your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name, which I think is similar enough that it pretty much has the same message. And then you have the uh, Old Standard King James Version that's most often quoted when you're talking about this verse, and that is, do not take the Lord, the name of the Lord in vain. So we... we most of us get that one drilled into our head. I think the NIV sounds very similar to that. And what, and what is sort of the standard understanding, sort of the mainstream understanding of what that means? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. As I was raised, it was this spectrum of, for many, it was just anytime you say God and you're not praying or telling someone about God or singing a song. So if you drop something on your toe, you're like, oh God, then you're done. Yeah, you, you've, you've sinned. And for others, uh, for many, again, as I was raised, it was GD. Can I say it? Maybe I shouldn't. So um, it, it was gosh darn, but not gosh darn. Okay. And for some, that's even what I just said is too close. You don't even do that. Um, and so for many, that's what it is. My problem with that is that it completely uh, waters down this commandment, which does not say anything as, it, as I read it in the New Revised Standard. It doesn't say anything about how you say it. It says about how you use it. And you can use... The, the identity of God, God's presence communicated without ever saying the name. Not to mention God is not God's name in human language originally. Because when Moses asked God what God's name is, what does God say? I am that I am. Which I, I take to mean, you can't understand me, so don't even try. Bingo. Okay. Uh, you're not going to understand it. I'm not going to waste my time telling you. I just am. Deal with it. Okay. So all that to say, there's this, in my opinion, 
misuse, yes, but complete misunderstanding of what this verse means. And the reason that's important to me and the reason it's becoming my soapbox issue of the day is because I think in many ways as a society, I'm specifically talking about in America, but I'm sure this goes on other places wherever there are religious people, there, there's this complete misuse of the name of God, whether you use it or not. And what I'm talking about in America is this idea that we are, quote unquote, a Christian nation. And when we do that, what we are doing is stamping God's seal on whatever we decide to do. Mm. Now, I, I, I understand what a theocracy is, and I suppose it could, it could exist a nation where they literally just pray about every decision and and only do what their sacred book says, and they exist maybe. I don't think they exist purely anywhere, but... Um, Iran, in, for example, is, uh, is, I think, a theocracy. There are plenty that call themselves theocracies and operates to some degree like that, but like, that's why I said I don't think they exist purely anywhere, because I think there's always some human interference. Mm-hmm. But I could be wrong. All that to say... In America, we call ourselves a Christian nation. We hear people saying, well, they shouldn't have taken God, God out of schools, and et cetera, et cetera. And when we, when we take God and we just say, okay, I, as a Christian, am going to do X, Y, Z, and I'm going to call it God's will. How are we not taking the Lord's name in vain? Yeah, well, and I think it confuses so many people into thinking that uh, that there's no room for critiquing what our nation is doing, what our country is doing, what the politicians and the and the people in power are doing from a Christian perspective, which I think actually is a moral imperative. It's a responsibility, and it's something that we see Jesus doing time and again in his ministry. Um, but when we say this is a Christian nation, it's almost like we can't have that further conversation about what's not Christian about our nation. And part of the reason we can't have that is because my people, um, not just Southern Baptists, which I'm, I'm not really a very Southern Baptist, but we, we, we came out of them. But not just Southern Baptists, but mostly them. They're the biggest in my opinion, in America, that that are you know guilty of this, but in the '80s, the Southern Baptist Church and a lot of other uh, evangelical churches married the Republican Party. Okay, and when that happened, they ceased to be the church, but they still operated as an organization that claimed to be doing God's will. Now, maybe there were. I mean, individual churches in the Baptist faith make their own decisions. But when that happened, we ceased to be the church. We, we became a political arm. Mm. The church and the state were married from thenceforth. And, and so... If you I think take- that gives too much credit to the church, to be honest. I feel like the church got a raw deal in that situation, and we're, we're seeing the results of it. I mean, I feel like the church has just been exploited by for political ends um, by that quote-unquote marriage. Um, 
you know, Methodists did it a hundred years ago and that's how we got prohibition. You know, I did not know that. we can, we can, uh, we can legislate morality. We can legislate holiness and we'll just prohibit alcohol. And we, you know, Methodists got themselves into the houses of power and eventually it backfired. And then we sort of took a, uh, a back seat and we were like, oh yeah, this doesn't really work. And, um, uh, you know, Christians are continuing to learn that lesson, unfortunately. So let's look at the uh, inverse, by the way. I, just not, it, I did not miss the fact that you just said Methodist created Al Capone, just saying. Um, but let's look at the inverse of the commandment. See, the commandment was a thou shalt not, right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't misuse use God's name or the name of God. That's what you shouldn't speak. Mm-hmm. But what would change if we thought about, thought more about what we are speaking into being, about what we are doing when we speak the name of the Lord? And how is it that we can't seem to connect these two? We focus either on not doing one thing or some people i think less than the other focus on what we are doing on their words but as christians how can we speak honor to god's name as a nation that i think has gone way off in its use of the name of god how can we communicate to the rest of the world be it through speech or actions that we do in fact value life like the God we claim to follow? Well, I think it starts off with just granting dignity to each and every person around us, regardless of their political affiliation, regardless of their religious beliefs, regardless of um, their education level, regardless of the work that they do, regardless of who their parents are or where their family comes from or what color their skin is or who they choose to love. We create life and we, we declare our allegiance to the author of life when we validate and get, grant dignity to the life that God has created around us in all of its plurality and all of its diversity. And I think, to be honest, you know, we have a lot to repent of as Christians because we've been participating in death language. Um, we have we have denied um, the life that God has created in one another, um, in people who are different from us, for for decades and maybe even longer. And uh, and and I think, yeah, we've been betraying uh, the the core identity of our creator, which is a creator who speaks and creates life. Mm-hmm. That would be one place I would start. Where else, where else can we um, actually do the opposite of speaking the Lord's name in vain? Where can we speak the Lord's name not in vain? What's the opposite of that? And see, I, I think, I think a lot of times the disconnect is in the word speak. Mm. Um, you know, we're two people who literally speak the Lord's name, like for a living. And I mean, I feel like we're more than that, but most people say, Oh, you're a preacher. That's what you do. You know? And the show is called pastor potluck, but uh, it's not about just what you say. 
It's about what you do. That's why I love, I think I said this earlier, um, the way the NRSV and uh, others translate it. It's the use of it. It is not the mentioning of it. And so where else we can do this is wherever we are. Because wherever we are, we're doing something. I was talking to my son yesterday. I had to yell at him. And he had three times, like we trained the dogs to sleep with him until he falls asleep. And then one of them, they both get treats if they do their job, because that's how you train a dog. And then one of them goes back and finishes the night sleeping in his bed. And the other one comes in ours. And the so when he falls asleep, uh, the you've seen our dogs that we have the brown dog and the hound dog. Um, but the, the brown dog, she's really meticulous. Like she'll nudge him a little bit, make sure he's asleep and she'll get down. It's cute. So anyway, um, we, we've trained him to do that. Last night, he three times had kicked him out of his bed. One time it was because he wanted to use one of the dog's fur as a napkin because he got his hand wet eat nice the other time he just was being a butthole and then the, the i love him but sometimes kids can be buttholes um the third time he decided he wanted all the blankets and so he yanked them out like like the magician trying to pull the the tablecloth out from under the dishes and he, he did that and so i don't know if the dog went flying but she's pretty big so i doubt it i think she just got up when he moved the blanket anyway i didn't like lose it on him but i made my point clear and my question was, Gideon, do you know how to train a dog? It's like, yes, because he goes out with me when I train him to blood track and stuff like that. That's okay. How? I don't know. That's okay. Well, let me tell you, let me teach you how to train a dog. Everything you do around the dog is training the dog. He didn't get that. I said, it's not just when you tell them to do something and they do it or don't do it. Everything you do is telling them that they're doing it right or that they're doing it wrong, whether you're thinking about it or not. So if we're, if our goal was to teach these dogs to sleep in your bed and you kick them out of the bed, what are you training them that they're not to be in your bed? And just like that, and then, then he got it. I mean, he was, it was still a bad night, let me tell you, but that's a different story for a different time. But he, he, he got that. He understood then. Everything we do is telling the world who we are and what we represent. And if we're the image of God, then everything we do, notice I didn't say say, but do, including communications, is a statement to the world about who our God is. Hmm. If, if we claim to be God's children, we rubber stamp God on our lives or our country, whatever, then our actions then speak to God or speak of God. And in that, if we're abusing someone, we're doing it in the name of God. If we are building someone up, we are doing it in the name of God. So every second we have on this earth is an opportunity to either disobey this commandment and take the Lord's name in vain or to use God's name wisely so this it has is, everything to do with how we're living our lives yeah well it, more importantly in relationship remember this is the god that that spoke the world into existence because god wanted relationships and we are living in god's image it's not just how we're living our lives as a part of that 
it's how we're treating others in our lives, mm. including strangers, people who are like us, people who are not like us, people we love, people we hate, enemies, friends, frenemies, it runs the gamut. And this connects with uh, the theology of a, of, of a scholar that I really admire. His name is Karl Barth. And uh, he, he's responsible for a, a, a genre of theology called divine, divine command ethics. And his belief through, through his reading and his research is that um, the commands of God are not just something that's in the 20th chapter of Exodus, but that because we believe in a living God, uh, then as Christians, as people who take the name of Christ and put that on our lives, there is a command for our life for every moment, that every moment is, and every choice that we make is either in obedience or disobedience to divine command, to God's command for our lives. Now, are we all hearing from God every single moment? No, but I think Bart would say, Carl Bart would say, that uh, that doesn't that doesn't remove us of the responsibility. And the command is being given to us in every moment. It's just whether or not we're listening carefully enough. And I think he would advise that that means that we need to live a life that has dedicated time for prayer because it's difficult to discern what God's will is for each moment because our world changes every day and we don't live in the same world that the, that the, Hebrews lived in while they were traveling through the wilderness and receiving the Ten Commandments. So we need to be constantly returning to God, asking God, what do we do now? How do we bear your image and carry and wear your name on our lives in a way that is um, respectful of you? This uh, discussion has been brought to you by what happened yesterday and I haven't really plugged that in because I don't want to be political. I just want to be theological. Well, fill us in for, and for listeners who may be bringing up this podcast later on. Yeah, I knew I had to define yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yesterday would be the 6th of January when the president had spoken to a bunch of people, and I'm not putting it on him. Um, but uh, then some of those people got fired up and they breached the Capitol. Four people were killed. Um, and it was, it's tragic. And it is a reflection of a larger issue that we have been talking about all day today, including when we were talking about Gen Genesis 5, because there's this confluence of events, and we've seen it all year, where people felt whether they were or not people have felt marginalized and not heard on every conceivable side and because of that well i don't want to say because of that some people are just crazy but um i feel like connected to that um have for lack of better words all lost their damn minds and so I, I have been thinking about that a lot. And I, I, will, I will give Peter an out here. I was the one that forced this issue today. Uh, I really 
felt like I needed to talk about this. And hopefully Peter's glad we did. We'll see. Can I just say one thing? Maybe I don't know if we need to go into much detail about this. I can just sort of point folks to more information. Uh, I, I definitely reviewed what happened yesterday on the news and yeah, was not surprised, but was um, very disappointed. And I don't know if there was ever an explicit uh, declaration by the protesters that we are Christians. Yeah. Um, it seems to me that this that that the group that it is responsible for the violence that we witnessed, for the groups rather, um, maybe emerged out of uh, you know the 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 Christian right at an early age, but um, now don't seem to be affiliated with it much at all, much more affiliated with the person of Donald Trump himself and with other um, spokespeople, whether public or anonymous, such as uh, the QAnon uh, theory. But uh, I brought up Karl Barth earlier in talking about divine command ethics and how we live our lives. And I wanna bring up his context too, because I think that is very, um, could be very educational for our own time. So Karl Barth is responding to, uh, you know, his theology comes out of Germany at a time when most of the German church, German Protestant church decided wholeheartedly to support the Nazi regime. Mm -hmm. And he and his, and his student, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, were members of an opposing church called the Confessing Church that said, our responsibility as Christians is not to endorse uh, any political power or principality. Um, that is not how we confess the name of Jesus Christ. And so I, I really invite folks who are interested in making connections between um, the recent past and the present to go and read about the German Christian movement called Deutsche Christen. Um, but uh, basically, it was an evangelical German church that existed between 1932 and 1945, I'm quoting from Wikipedia. And it, it, it aligned itself over time with the anti-Semitic, racist, um, and Fuhrer Prinzip ideological positions of Nazism. And the goal was to align all of German Protestantism with those principles. And so I just see in that example, and it, you can't see this on your screen, but if you look it up, their, their symbol, uh, they, re, they remade the Christian flag and they put a Nazi symbol right in the middle of the cross. And to, to, uh, and to them, that was the most important, was that their, their Christian faith and their nationalist, racist identity we're one and the same. And I just see that as uh, that, that should be a signpost for us of the road that we as Christians should not be going down. Yeah. But it starts with figuring out what it means to be a Christian and how can we separate that from being an American because there are definitely downsides of always trying to bring those two together. Yes. And the reason that we got to this point in this discussion is because so often you see the same people 
that were present yesterday for that event saying what started our biblical part of this discussion, you know, America is a Christian nation, hmm. or saying, well, we need to return to God. And these are the people that married um, party affiliation with religious affiliation. It's dangerous. And yesterday we saw just how dangerous it is. And in my opinion, it gets back to this idea that we can use the Lord's name or we can use God. Let's forget the naming. We can use God to Christianize or deificate whatever our agendas are. And maybe even more harmfully to demonize any opposition. And as a nation, we've done that and that manifest destiny, destiny, you know, we are going to expand because God wills it. Um, forget you if you've already lived there. Um, and so it, it's been disastrous. Hmm. And yesterday was a, a very recent reminder of, of the harm that can be caused. But it is, it was, it is nothing new. But just, a, just an aside, the chant yesterday, of course, was stop the steal. But I really wonder where the white Christians were with that chant when uh, settlers were stealing native, native land 100, 200 years ago. Interestingly enough, we live in a town that is, used to be Cherokee land. Yeah. And yeah. people are listening in places that used to be someone else's. Yeah, you are correct. Um, so anyway, uh, getting back to the original verses, we have talked about taking the Lord's name in vain. How do you use or misuse God in communication? And I'm going to bring us full circle by thinking about that in opposition to how God used communication. Hmm. So we have two verses that are starkly different. One focuses on what we say about God. One focuses on what God said to bring us about. We've got to be better reflections of who God is. Mm-hmm. We've got to use our words to, like Peter was talking about, create worlds that are godly, that respect life, that value life, that don't disconnect and cheapen life. Because once you do cheapen life, and once you do put God's brand on your agenda, you get what you had yesterday. Hmm. And I'm tired of it. And again, not political. We've been seeing it all year and for different reasons. And I'm not weighing in on where I stand on any of this stuff. Although if you know me, you probably know, but I, I do, I feel like we, I won't speak for you. I feel like I, just need to use this limited platform that it is to call on people that actually are God's children to do better, to speak, um, speak love and life into the world as God did, as God laid as, as an example for all of us in the story of creation. And if you can't, then shut up. I mean, <laughs> how about that? And I don't, I don't want to feel, theologize with the terrible movie Bambi, Bambi, but Thumper did say, if you can't say nothing nice, don't say nothing at all. And uh, maybe we should just get back there. So it's 2021. 
perhaps you've been considering what resolution you want to make for this new year. And this podcast is inviting um, you and us to consider using our words carefully to, to bear that name Christian with honor and dignity and live by it to bear the name of God and to bear the image of God in a way that builds up life. And I think that's most important in our relationships with our neighbors, no matter what they believe, no matter what they, uh, you know, no matter what their actions are, that we continue to speak love just as our creator continues to love us, even though we mess up all the time. So with that, any last words, Court Green, or any other resolutions you want to uh, declare for 2021? My resolution was to get to work earlier every day, and I have uh, so far. I've, I've come to work an hour earlier than usual every day. Now, when homeschooling dictates that I must stay, I must stay. But anyway, um, but that so that was my resolution. My, my final words are, I want to say thank you to Peter. I forced all of this on him today. Uh, I called, I, I texted him this morning and said, I, I feel like I got to do a pastor potluck. Are you, are you good with doing a podcast? And he said, sure. And he said, what do you want to talk about? And I imagine his face when I dumped it on him, he was probably like, what the, what's he, what's he doing? Um, and usually I'm the more lighthearted one. And I was the one that was fired up about this today. So I both apologize and thank you wholeheartedly, Peter, because uh, you've been very, very accommodating to my needs today. And I appreciate that. It's my pleasure. And thanks to all you, our listeners. Happy New Year. Uh, for Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green. I'm Peter Constantian. And it's been wonderful talking to you. Have a great day. Peace.